Peter Thomas Fornital here. We at In The Money Media are so happy to be partnering with Maggie Wolfendale on this new podcast series. On these shows, Maggie is telling the story of the horses through the voices of the people who love them and whose lives have been changed by them. Best of all, they're being produced to benefit our friends at the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, whose mission of saving lives, both human and equine, is so important to Maggie and so important to us at the network. To make a gift to support this show and the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, go to trfinc.org slash off track. That's trfinc.org slash off track. The next voice you hear will be Maggie Wolfendale. Gelding, fold February 21st, 2000, in Kentucky. By Grand Slam, out of Regal Lady Hour, by Regal and Royal. 20 starts, 8 wins, 2 seconds, 4 thirds. Earnings, $61,687. Jockey Club name, Regal Slam. This is his story off track, as told by the woman who loved him, and then became his proud owner, Katie Conway. I'm pleased to be here with Katie Conway, who I kind of feel like is my sister from another mister, as her dad is a trainer, Dan Conway. And... Katie, you are in love with your off-track thoroughbreds. It's a, a girl after my own heart and obviously obsessed with your dogs, whom I hear in the background now. But Katie, to start things off, just give us, from your vantage point, what it was like growing up the daughter of a trainer. Um, I feel completely uh, blessed and privileged and honored uh, to have grown up as Dan Conway's daughter. Uh, for so many reasons, um, you know, he he made he he had parents who trained and were involved in uh, hunter jumpers, and um, he trained. Uh, I would say late seventies through the eighties uh, when I was born. Um, late eighties, he uh, made a a very uh, hard but uh, noble decision, uh, to take a break from training for personal reasons. Um, and he did everything he could to provide me with such a great childhood. And, um, thankfully for him, he was able to get back into horse training, uh, as I, I was probably, um, early teens when he started getting back into it. So, um, it's been such a, a really cool ride to be along with him and, um, just, getting to go and see all the horses every morning and help him and travel with him. It's been such a cool experience. So you said he took a break from the track, but were horses still a part of your life as a, as a young child? Great question. Um, so actually my mom, Grace, um, they ended up, they met on the racetrack, um, in the eighties and, uh, she had always worked for a veterinarian. She's a vet tech. And, um, 
I, while he was uh, away from the track for a while, I would go in and kind of be their little assistant, uh, ride around with the vet, get to experience that aspect of the track life. So horses were still, yes, um, horse racing was still in, in my, uh, you know, daily uh, routine. And um, I got to see it from a, a different side growing up. And when he went back to the track to train horses, what was your involvement? As you said, you were a teenager and did you go out in the mornings? Were you kind of immersed in that that type of lifestyle? Yeah. So um, actually, uh, a very dear friend of his who he trained for back in the 80s and my grandfather trained for, uh, Mr. Daniel Burke, uh, Oakwood Stables, um, he ended up uh, reaching out to my dad. He had a couple horses that um, were probably, you know, they weren't going to be um, any type of stake or high-end allowance horse, but uh, probably would do well at Finger Lakes, uh, where my dad is based. Um, so, it it was his way of kind of s- slipping back into the training lifestyle. He was working for the city of Canandaigua uh, at the time. So a, f- a friend of his, his old assistant, um, actually ended up initially starting the, the transition back and helping him with that transition. So um, I would say every weekend uh, we would go out to the track and help uh, with the horses. And then eventually he was able to put a few horses in his name. So. As far as you growing up and riding, you mentioned hunter jumpers. Had you had ponies and, and everything like that? Um, or were was the hunter jumper or even the show world something you started later in life? It was actually something I started later. I, um, I'm not the confidence, a confident, most confident of riders. Um, and, uh, you know, growing up, I played basketball and soccer and, uh, I took, I would say backyard riding lessons at a, a local barn. Um, and when I was able to, I would ride the track pony on occasion. Um, but actually it wasn't until, um, uh, Regal Slam, a horse that I think we're going to talk about. Um, he he retired, and he actually started the whole eventing uh, world. He, you know, we we joined the eventing world together. I'm trying to say. <laughs> so, I mean, taking a horse off the track is a fair, a fairly daunting, you know, proposition because I mean, let's face it, thoroughbreds are multi-talented. They can pretty much do anything that you retrain them or that they put their mind to. But I mean, look, I had my first off-track thoroughbred when I was 11 and he scared the crap out of me for, uh, until I started galloping racehorses. Then he seemed like a piece of cake. So <laughs> what kind of got your confidence up to take a horse off the track? Oh, well, uh, a very special horse named Regal Slam. He he was one in a million and uh they're they're truly I, I if there is another Regal Slam out there, um I would love to meet uh him or her someday, but um I I don't know if I'll ever have a connection like I did um with Regal. Um, and yes, I, I would not recommend uh, a beginner, uh somebody who hasn't showed all of uh, her life, you know, to take an off-track thoroughbred, uh, definitely get a trainer, definitely work with experienced horsemen and women. Um, but yes, it was a, a incredible experience. He taught me so much. So go back to when he was in your dad's barn. What was he like to be around at the track? 
Sure. Um, so funny story, uh, as a two-year-old, from my understanding, um, he was training with Michael Metz uh, down at his training center. And he was very slow, <laughs> uh, didn't have much interest, um, but Mr. Burke, it was his homebred. And he, um, you know, that was one of the reasons he came up to us. Uh, he was slow. He was crooked. He had uh, poor conformation. Um, so as soon as I, I met him, he came off the, the big shipping van and um, he just had such a gentle calming presence about him. Uh, I literally didn't know what I was doing, even at the track, you know, as far as walking a horse, you know, cooling out a horse, leading a horse to the track, putting bandages on, posing legs, you know, every little detail I I learned on him. He, so uh, he was just a very good guy, a solid citizen. So your connection with him goes back to when he first came on the track. I mean, this is a it, it, this is a lifelong relationship that you have with him. Yes, yes. Um, he, we he actually came up to a farm. Uh, I, I believe it was um, either early spring or over the winter. I know I remember the day like it was yesterday. It was snowing, and I let him off the van and. Um, then we ended up bringing him to the track and he ran in my dad's, uh, not my now dad, you know, his assistant, uh, he ended up running in his name for a while and training in his name. Um, but yes, we, I've, I was with him from the very beginning. <laughs> How long of a career did he have on the racetrack with you guys? Uh, it was, uh, you know, it was, he, he definitely came with limitations. Um, he, I believe, raced a total of 12 times. Um, and it, it, you know, he didn't have, um, he didn't race all year, every year. Well, and that's um, because he primarily raced at Finger Lakes, which is yes. seasonal. You start in May and go through exactly. October. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm looking at his PPs now. He made one start outside of Finger Lakes, and that was actually in Canada at Fort Erie. Yeah, he actually ran twice in Canada. Um, he, uh, I think, was second, yeah. just got beat, and then he won. And I, I remember his win in Canada because I was actually in math class. I was in high school, and I was, I at the time we didn't, we only had flip phones. So I'm like, I'm sneaking looking at my phone, and the teacher caught me because I'm waiting to get a text saying how he did, and the teacher caught me and took my phone away. So <laughs> I remember that win well. <laughs> That's so great. Yeah. Uh, what did we ever do when we had flip phones? We couldn't just, know. you know, hop on our Naira Betts account or whatever and then right. watch races live. <laughs> but I, I am looking at his PPs now. And um, so he won eight times um, throughout his career, which out of the 20 starts was it, it's pretty darn good. I mean, that's a pretty yeah. high percentage yeah. as well. So, and I think, you know, with your dad and, and for me kind of knowing him and, and the few horses that he's run at Naira, he really takes that hands-on caring approach, giving horses time and patience. And do you think that kind of parlayed over to why Regal Slam kind of, you know, lasted on the track as he did, but also lasted for you? Absolutely. Um, the, the sad reason why he had to retire, um, uh, 
later on in life from eventing and even being ridden uh, was a degenerative disease. Um, he, he suffered from a, a DSLD, uh, so it's a degenerative ligament disease where their fetlocks drop and they don't have that support. Um, but I, I truly do think looking back on his career, you know, my dad is one of the most hands-on trainers I've ever met or known. Um, and I think that that, I think every, every horse deserves that in their life, in their racing career. <laughs> well, and uh, deserves someone like you too. Let's start at the beginning of his second career. Um, did you have a nickname for him, by the way? Regal. Captain yeah. <laughs> <Kept it> Simple. <laughs> yeah. um, d- so Regal comes off the track. What did you do with him? Did you turn him out or did you go directly into working? So, uh, yeah, I we a friend of ours, Lisa Reed, who I actually have my horses with still to this day. Uh, she's an incredible horsewoman. Um, she uh, gallops at the racetrack as well, owns and breeds and um, events. Uh, so eventing wasn't my, uh, you know, anything I desired to do. Really, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I just knew I needed this horse to remain in my life. Um, and we ended up bringing him out to her farm and she kind of, she didn't push me, but I think she gave me the, the nudge I needed to, uh, to learn something new and really cool and something that he overall, um, did well in, I would say. That's, (laughs) I, uh, I remember when I first took my OTTB off the track and I was actually at a, a lady's and I had only done hundred jumpers up until that point and at a lady's farm, Linda Spear, and she was German and big into dressage. And I knew nothing about dressage, but she pointed me in that direction. And boy, my boy, Colonel, he was, he was the best thoroughbred that I've ever been around at in dressage. But um, so, but speaking of dressage, that's kind of where you have to start your basis when it comes to eventing. Uh, and, I had Rosie Napravnik on before, and we talked about the three phases of eventing, obviously dressage, cross-country, and jumping. Uh, What was kind of, you know, your first thing that you tackled with him? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say, going back to your previous question, though, um, we ended up, you know, he was turned out, uh, the typical letdown time. Um, I honestly just started kind of riding him around the farm, getting comfortable with him, and, um, but... uh, Things led into uh, taking lessons with Lisa's trainer, Karen Alexander, um, and we did a lot of, uh, we did groundwork, uh, which I think is so important for the horses coming off the track, um, just to get that, get that bond, connect with your horse, you know, I mean, it's such a new lifestyle for them, and it's really good to get that uh, groundwork initiated, um, you know, under their belt. But um I would say dressage definitely wasn't his strong point. Um, it was hard. Um, the, you know, collection, um, was very hard for him. So we got, we always got through our dressage phase. Um, but cross country was definitely, uh, our most fun. And, uh, I think that's what we enjoyed the most going out and jumping the cross country jumps. Now for him, I mean, considering that you, as you mentioned, weren't, you know, a experienced rider at the time, did you guys truly have to kind of learn together? 
Oh, yes. <laughs> and um, yes, like I said before, I wouldn't recommend it for everybody. <laughs> I came off a lot. And um, it was, uh, you know, I, one, until I learned that he was always going to jump, duck out to the right, uh, I needed to keep my right hand and leg on him. Uh, you know, he taught me a very uh, important lesson with that. Um, it, we, I struggled a lot. Um, but one thing was he never ran away. Every time I fell off of him, he, he stopped. He looked at me like, get back up here. Let's try this again. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a, a long road. But, you know, after a few years of working with some really talented riders uh, and friends, um, we ended up having a few really awesome years together with showing. His biggest attribute as far as his demeanor I mean, you kind of alluded to it. Do you think it was his patience and his kindness? Oh, yes. He had to be very patient with me, and I'm so thankful for that. Um, he allowed me to just just learn everything. I messed up so many times with him, and um, he was just kind of like this big teddy bear who said, I won't hold that to you, but you better, you know, let's, let's do it the right way next time. <laughs> and... Talk about your your showing career with him. I, I mean, I've stalked you on Facebook and you have <laughs> some great pictures um, of you guys going cross country. And I also, was it him that you did the demonstration at the Retired Racehorse Project? No, um, I, I was uh, lucky enough to have another one of my dad's horses. Um, a group of girls uh, invited me to be on their team uh, with uh, Daring Destiny. Um, and he, uh, we ended up getting there to Kentucky. We did a dressage test, um, which that was a, an amazing experience. That, that was always one of my goals to get to, uh, you know, the retired racehorse project. Um, and we were able to do that. I think it was 2019. So, and now he, he's owned by a 14 year old girl who just adores him. So. I want to get to that kind of side because you, you've had several of your, your dad's horses, but getting back to Regal. Like I said, talk a little bit about your show career with them and, and where you guys went and what you did. Sure. Um, I would say, you know, we kept it, things pretty local um, up here in the Finger Lakes area in New York. Uh, we're very lucky to have uh, GVRDC, GVH. They put on some beautiful shows and events every year. Um, we also had Stuart Horse Trials, a uh, recognized event up here in Victor um, that was a uh, one of my goals with him, uh, we ended up going twice and, uh, you know, competing and uh, placing in the ribbon. So that was a, a super awesome accomplishment, uh, I'd say. But um, my, I would say my most fun that we had together um, was probably in 2014 and 15. We were able to get to um, quite a few events in those two years. Um, and, uh, he just, you know, we got, like I said, we got through dressage and that was always our, we'll just do our best trudge forward and then, um, go out and have just a fun time on cross country. He was very honest to the jump. Every jump I put him towards the only thing he actually ever had an issue with, um, were ditches. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I know, I know that was the only thing I, I really had to sit way back, uh, kick, 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 
remind him on his shoulder, hey, come on, let's get over this. And um, we'll get over it, I promise. <laughs> yeah, come on, we can do this. Let's go over together. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, uh, we never showed any, we never did anything past um, beginner novice. Um, we would school some novice jumps, but um, he was happy at that level. I was happy and um, he exceeded all of my expectations. What, for you, he was your first horse and he kind of opened the door for you, at least from what you've said and, and kind of following you and stuff throughout the, you know, since I've known you and your dad for like 10 years, um, that he kind of opened the door for you to kind of be this ambassador and, and find homes for your dad's horses when, you know, it was time to call it quits. Uh, so did he instill a kind of passion in you to do such? Absolutely, 100%. Um, and I will say, as I like I said earlier, I watched um, your interview with, uh, or I listened to your interview with Rosie, um, and you had mentioned, you know, or back in the day uh, when I was – I was working with Regal on the racetrack and we were just kind of transitioning into his uh, second career. Um, Off-track thoroughbred, uh, the off-track thoroughbred really wasn't, or maybe just beginning to be kind of what it is today. And um, so it really, it was the beginning of my passion to rehome these wonderful animals and um, seeing them just excel after they work so hard for us on the racetrack is so, so incredibly rewarding. Yeah, I was starting to get annoyed with, you know, people saying that, you know, all the warm bloods, you need a warm blood. Exactly. But, and thank you for that. Thank you for, for recognizing, you know, what's, what they have to offer um, to, to everybody. And for, and not to bring up, you know, a sad thing, but obviously you mentioned Regal Slam's um, degenerative ligament disease. When did you have to call it quits? How hard of a decision for you was that? Yeah, um, uh, probably uh, the hardest decision of my entire life so far. Um, he started to just not go like his normal self. Um, and I just, in the back of my mind, you know, people would say, oh, well, you know, maybe it's his stifles, maybe it's his hawks, maybe, you know, something's there. I mean, he is getting older. Um, but I just, in my gut, I had a feeling that it was something worse than that. Um, so we finally, after some rides where he was just stumbling and just not comfortable behind, um, we had my vet out, um, and he worked with, uh, he looked at the x-ray. We took x-rays, looked at the x-rays with our farrier. Um, and it was then determined that this wasn't going to get better. Um, and as soon as we, uh, made that, uh, we, we discovered what was wrong. Um, I never wrote him ever again, obviously. Um, just, uh, with working with our vet and farrier, we just tried to keep him as comfortable as possible. Um, Lisa, God bless her. She, uh, she made him this, um, smaller enclosure that kind of walked, it was a, just a walk-in stall to out to a smaller pen, um, just so he could continue, you know, to stay comfortable and limber. But um, after I would say about a year, um, we were getting closer into winter. I knew that I didn't, he didn't deserve to 
go out with, you know, without dignity. He deserved every bit of that. So we made uh, that very difficult decision. Um, and we, uh, we put him to sleep and, uh, yeah, I still get emotional to this day. Um, I think about him and I, I can tear up. I was just thinking about him. So, well, I mean, it just speaks to the fact of how special he was to you and, and what, and to, you know, I always have to tell myself, you know, we've all been there before as far as losing horses and, you have to remember the fun times, what they taught you, and that you gave gave them such a wonderful life, and or at least you hope you did. Yeah. Um, but I, I I can certainly say that I think you did that for Regal. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but he also made I, and I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but it feels like he kind of put that, as I said, passion into you to to rehome other horses and yeah. you now have two other horses now as well. The Zipper and Predanatural who was just racing on the Naira circuit. Not yeah. too yes. Um I don't even I still don't even know how I ended up with him. But, uh he was uh running for Dominic Chitino in New York and um thank the Lord he was sent up to us and due to COVID I had it, it I was limited to how much I could really go out and spend, you know, some time with the horses. Um, but you know, my dad, after he ran a couple times, I think he hit the board every time he ran up here just a few times. Um, it, he came back just, just, you know, slightly uncomfortable after a morning breeze. And my dad said, well, he's too special to, you know, have anything happen to him. So, um, I kind of just said, okay, I'm kind of taking this horse. We have a weird connection. I, It's not like anything. It wasn't like a Regal Slam where I spent a ton of time with him. It wasn't like the Zipster where we also had such a, a, a relationship on the racetrack, but um, there was something definitely special about him. And uh, I'm, I'm having a, a ton of fun with him right now. Oh, good. And the Zipster, I mean, he raced until he was nine. He did. Um, and, you know, he, he, I noticed that he was claimed from your dad, right? Yes. And yes. Did you go back and get him? <laughs> Long story short, <laughs> I'll keep the emotions out of it. But um, no, we like emotions on this. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, we were only going to run him one or two times. Uh, first horse that I actually, uh, it was list. I was listed as a part owner, and um, so I, I I remember dolling him all up for his race that uh, day, and. Um, let him over. I think he finished maybe third, I want to say. Um, and then I went to get him after the race and they said, Oh, uh, he was claimed. Uh, you need to go, you know, the test barn and do all that stuff. And I, I just remember sobbing the whole walk back and I'm like in shock. I'm like, I can't, I can't believe he got claimed. Um, but yes, uh, long story short, thankfully we did get him back. Um, and actually, uh, at the time I still had my very old Appaloosa two socks and Regal. So I, I really didn't have a need to have a third horse. Um, and we found just a, a wonderful family in Canada. Uh, he lived at this beautiful farm, um, was kind of everybody's horse. It sounded like, um, everybody just kind of rode him and all around and had fun with him. Um, but then, uh, he ended up needing a home and that was actually right when we were making the decision to put Regal to sleep. So, uh, Zipster came in, saved the day when I needed 
uh, just a buddy to be with. So, and is he is he that just kind of horse? Just that I mean, just oh, looking at yeah. pictures of him, he just seems like the happy go lucky kind of dude. Oh yeah, he's he's such a clown. Um, when you're having a bad day, just go just go hang with a zipster. He's he he finds things to spook at. He's uh, you know he's definitely not a beginner horse, but. He's always looking for treats and just attention. And yeah, he's, he's, he's going to be with me forever too. (laughs) (laughs) Collecting horses. Um, (laughs) Well, um, so getting back to Regal, I always like to ask people as you listen to Rosie, um, kind of just short answer questions um, about you know, about Regal. And if you want to throw, if, if the Zipster or, or, or Pax, as you call Predator Natural, um, you know, their thoughts on these questions as well, feel free to. But as far as Regal is con- was concerned, um, what was his favorite treat? Was he a peppermint guy or did he like apples or what was his, you know, favorite mange? <laughs> I would say um, he loved carrots, apples, peppermints, um, but peppermints were his thing (laughs) for sure yes he he if he left the bag of peppermints by his stall he would uh try to eat them with the wrappers on yeah (laughs) (laughs) had a few of those in my time as well Um, if he had a theme song what would it be oh gosh um i i would say um, you've got a friend in me, as silly as it sounds, uh, the Toy Story theme song, uh, just because he was such a special friend. Um, and he, he was really everybody's friend. He, ever, he made everybody smile and feel loved. It's very sweet. If he were a person and you were sitting down to have cocktails, what would his drink of choice be? <laughs> I love it. Oh gosh. I think he would definitely be a dark beer kind of guy. <laughs> Maybe a scout. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, great. Okay, what was his most favorite thing to do? Oh, I, okay. Um, we had so much fun trail riding. Uh, we have a beautiful park about a half hour from the farm, um, and they have this huge pond so we would go over there, Menden Ponds Park, we would go over there quite a bit, ride the trails, and then we would let them go play in the water. And he was so such a gentleman. He never laid down in the water, but he did splash a ton, and you could just tell he was loving every second of it. <laughs> oh, that's great. Okay, now on the flip side, what did he not like to do? What was his least favorite thing to do when you guys were riding or just around the barn? Dressage, I would say. Oh, come on. Breaking <laughs> my heart. No. No, I know. He would grind his teeth so bad. And and we would have that written on all of our dressage tests, you know. Um, but I, it was it was him and we got through it. <laughs> I don't understand why the judges have such a like pet peeve about that. Because my horse didn't do it, but I had friends that would show and They'd be like, oh, they wrote grinding teeth again. Yeah. He had the most, because he did that so often, he had the most defined jaw muscles. My trainer, Karen, would always say, I just love his jaw muscles. They're so defined. (laughs) That's sexy on a horse. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, okay. What was the biggest lesson that he taught you? Oh, gosh. I would say just be a great friend. Um, if somebody is going through, you know, really anything, just help them through it and we can all learn a lesson from each other. And, um, yeah, just, he, he provided me with so much support through so many times. So I would say just, just be a good friend and just be a good being. Good listener too. Yeah. Horses are the best listeners for sure. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Okay. And then the best three words to describe him, to sum him up. I would say classy, a friend, and a teacher. Perfect. I love it. Katie, thank you so much for sharing Regal's story with us. Um, He sounded like just an absolute gem. Thank you, Maggie. It's been such an honor talking with you about him. (laughs) It really has. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Off Track. I really enjoyed talking with Katie Conway, and I think it came across that she has a heart of gold, and the affection that she has for her off-track thoroughbreds is tangible, especially for her boy Regal Slam. And I love what he she said about what he had taught her, and that was to be a better friend. And it got me thinking about what my first off-track thoroughbred, Colonel Hill, taught me and that was to be a better listener whether to people or to horses but to them in particular because let's face it they can't talk to us in the traditional sense so we always have to be listening to their cues to their wants and their needs and also the one thing that we always can do do for them is support them after the racing careers are over and the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation for those that can't go on to those second careers provides that lifelong sanctuary for them and if you want to help out in any way possible make sure you check out trfinc.org slash off track to donate. I come over as an Australian citizen and uh, with that Thoroughbred horse uh, actually come on the plane with him uh, Trudeau Girdwood and uh, the idea he was a just virtually off the track and so he was very green and um uh most of the my compatriots went to england and i had this idea that um i it'd be hard for me to go to england with a very green horse and get work and be able to pay my way so i sort of decided to come to america and uh, but i the idea was that i'd be here for a year or so and then move to england and um uh, in the meantime, I met a cute girl and ended up staying here and, uh, you know, the rest is history. So, uh, but I represented Australia um, through until uh, uh, 2007. So I, I rode on the Australian team at the Olympics and all that kind of stuff until 2007 and then um, had this decision, you know, obviously we had, our family was here and um, America had been great to me and I'd done a lot of, um, you know, a lot of the, the owners that I had were all American and so, so I've made the, um, 
kind of big decision for me at the time to change my nationality. And so ever since then, I've represented um, America. Now, not to get too off topic or personal, how did you and Evie meet? I gave her a lesson. <laughs> oh, God. It's uh, back of a horse, right? <laughs> yeah. No, we were, we, we got, uh, we were, you know, I, I moved into the area and Evie had a fox hunting horse, actually. So, um, and I was, uh, started teaching people and uh, we've become friends that way. Um, so, Evie, you fox hunted. Have you ever fox hunted in England? No, actually, I haven't. I, I can't say I w- I'm a big fox hunter, but I, I sort of did the show hunters growing up and um, came everyone in, in our area in Unionville sort of fox hunts. So I thought that's what I wanted to do. But um, I started taking some lessons from Philip and he said, you should try this eventing. And I thought eventing was crazy and didn't understand it. But <laughs> once I learned about the sport more and um, I really enjoyed the goals that you set and, you know, learning how to train your horse and um, to do the different phases. And, you know, I just found that it was just a sport for, you know, the all around um, horsemen and, and horse. And so I started um, competing and eventing and Philip taught me how and, um, so that's kind of how it started. He won your heart and your writing career. <laughs> Impressive. <laughs> Anita, you'll appreciate the fact that I've only been fox hunting in England. Oh, my so, God. You're brave. Yeah. It, yeah it, well, you know, there's always a gate. <laughs> <laughs> but now that we've gone really kind of meandering, but getting back to Ichabod, um, Evie, feel free to to answer these. I I kind of give these little short answer questions uh, in regards to him, and sometimes they catch people off guard. So you can pass if you'd like, but um, I'll throw them your way, and whoever wants to answer, feel free. Um, if Ichabod had a theme song, what would it be? Mm. Oh my goodness pass we'd have to have more time to think about that one (laughs) fair enough fair enough um i you know i just think of kind of the sleepy hollow music oh yeah i don't even know what that would be but anyway as far as his taste buds are concerned is he a sweet tooth kind of man peppermints and sugars or a healthy guy in peppermints or excuse me carrots and apples he is sweet tooth all the way. Yeah, he has a big bag of peppermints that um, he knows when I'm, you know, the tack is coming off. He's ready for his peppermints. And you kind of mentioned this. His favorite thing in life to do is jump. Yeah, jump. Yeah, yeah. He does. I, I was thinking eat peppermints, but no, he. Um, <laughs> There. <laughs> he um he does love to jump. Does he just know it's a jumping day? And is he one that's just into the bridle once you you put a fence in front of him? Yes, he is. But he's he's you know, he's sharp and he's but he's um he's just always looking for it and he just 
he gets excited and um and he clears it by daylight yeah and then he jumps really huge and hopefully i don't get jumped out of the tack but um, i think olivia she was going to use him for the um puissance bareback (laughs) really yes and it was it was impossible to stay on him because he pops you out of the saddle so much and so she opted for another horse because he's and he's got a really high wither as well Mm. he wouldn't have been the perfect horse for that particular yeah a lot of those thoroughbreds the older they get the more pronounced those withers become (laughs) but what would be his biggest dislike well i think philip um, talked about this um, earlier. We have this stream out back of, on our farm, and we often hack back there. And there's like a little—it's not really a bridge, but it's um, a crossing. And there is no way you're going near that. And I mean, he just—he, we start walking down, and he just turns around and he says, "No, mom, we're not—we're not doing that." So he definitely doesn't like that. Is there? Do you have you come up with a reason why? I I I think you know he's not a big water fan, as Philip mentioned. But um, he I, I don't know. It's spooky, and he just yeah, he's he's just says no. And I don't really see a reason. We can go around it, you know. Like it's it's fine. He doesn't doesn't owe us anything. So yeah so you're the good cop in other words <laughs> I, I try to be all the time <laughs> yep yep um if you could sum up Ichabod Icky in three words what would they be gentlemen workmen um special professional dependable dependable yeah just everything that you want in a horse. I think um, well, Philip actually um, said in one of his seminars that he did that he would be the kind of guy you know, that would make a good boyfriend <laughs> because he's got all the qualities of a man that you would want. If only we could all have men like <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, well, go uh, ahead. Well, Anita they're very lucky, so they're fine. Yeah. <laughs> this is true. This is true. I, I can I can surely attest to that. Um, well, guys, thank you so much for your time. I know you're all very busy. And thank you for being such good people to Ichabod and giving him such a wonderful life off track. Well, it's our privilege to have him, so uh, we feel very lucky. So. Well, thank you for your time. And... May his days be full of peppermints. (laughs) Thank you, Maggie. Thank you, Maggie. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to Ichabod Crane's story, Off Track. Unfortunately, there are some horses who aren't able to go on to second careers, and for them, the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation provides lifelong sanctuary and care. And if you'd like to support them, make sure you check out trfinc.org slash off track.